I mean he's an impersonator. A fake. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following urgent announcement. You, yes you, put down that oversized bottle of scrumpy and listen here. Do you like being entertained? Do you like television? Well, do we have the show for you. Built for people who love TV, where three rapscallions dissect two television shows, one old and one not so old, for a probable audience of one. It's time for Hardly TV History. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Hardly TV History, the show where three idiots talk about two television shows for a probable audience of one. My name is Shannon and as usual I'm joined here by both Christian hey, Ron. and Jake. Greetings. Welcome back guys. It's good to see you all again. Yeah, it's been it's been a little while. We uh, that hundredth episode really threw us for a bit. Certainly we, uh, did. Got lazy did. in our recording, so uh, we're back. And we're back with uh, with um, you know we're in in the middle of coronavirus, and you know I've been feeling really quite bad about people in a retail setting through this whole process. <laughs> people are grumpy generally, mm. and they're bad. They're they're nasty to to uh, people in retail. The Karens of the world are horrible to people in retail. So we thought we'd pick out two shining, shimmering displays of retail perfection and we would we would analyse them. One old, one new. Of course, I'm talking about a classic British sitcom, Are You Being Served? And a relatively new American sitcom, Superstore. So without further ado, I'm going to throw over to Christian to tell us all about Are You Being Served? Fantastic. Thank you, Shannon. So Are You Being Served is set in the Grace Brothers department store in the UK in the 1970s. I think it's the early 1970s. And basically, we come into the story at the point where the men's department and the women's department have been merged onto the same floor. uh, And we basically follow the the crew as they learn to adjust to this new reality. And we see their adventures on the shop floor in amongst the customers and probably most importantly, amongst each other. So I, I want this podcast to live on for a long time. So for people about three years into the future, a department store is where people would go <laughs> to shop for physical items, um, try things on, talk to people, um, generally be together, buy something and get it straight away and take it home. So, hmm. um, you know. For all the kids, I think it's probably worth thinking about. It's like if Amazon was a real place. Like you yeah. could go into one of the Amazon warehouses and you weren't going to get taken out by, you know, robots and, and all fall foul of um, oppressive workplace practices. Yeah, we've seen a bit of a boom in, in retail sort of through this, both sort of online and also in, in person. But America is pretty dire when it comes to shopping malls and particularly department stores, which is the focus of both of these shows lately. So it's 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 nice to actually see, go back in time and see the 90s when these things were, you know, you get dressed up to go to the to the store yeah. in these, yeah. these days. Everyone's looking real fancy, aren't they? It's a, it's a very fancy time. I, I'm guessing it's a, it's a, is it a high-class store there? It's, in, yeah, it's so. David Jones. It's Maya. Of our, our time, I don't know what the equivalent is for for the states, but it's it's a department store, like um, yeah, and and they're kind of a dying breed now. They certainly are. It, it is certainly a, a destination location. So yeah, the Australian in the Australian context, it's definitely Meyer or David Drones. Over in the United States, I'm just thinking of um, I can't think of any actual brand examples. Like Saks like a Saks or yes, yeah, Saks Macy's maybe. Macy's, yeah, Macy's is probably the closest, and yeah. Macy's is struggling. I mean, it's closed. Uh, uh, I think it actually might have even 
gone belly up as we record this. Yeah, and so I'm sure our American audience would be able to draw some their own regional parables and analogies. But the department store that we see presented in Are You Being Served is in the 1970s. It's probably right when department stores were certainly seen as very high scale and, and upper class and you could you could go to them and, and purchase pretty much anything. And this is in an era where people still had haberdashery stores and local tailors and independent hat shops and cobblers. And so for the kids, a cobbler is a person who makes and repairs shoes. So that's probably important to note because uh, we don't see them very much anymore. Oh. Um, and this store is peopled or staffed by a, a crew of people who uh, many of them have actually worked there for quite some time, which I think is one of the main themes of this show. You have you have people in this organisation who have been working on the shop floor for many decades, and there are some people who are relatively brand new. And they're of different generations, and some of that intergenerational, I won't say conflict, but I suppose differences in expectations and standards certainly becomes one of the riffing points in the show. Did you guys... Picked it up. Yeah, and there's a hierarchy between those who are new and those who are old and, and, and the order in which someone can sell something is mm-hmm. based on seniority, based on how long you've been there. So there's this jostling for, well, how am I supposed to get commission when I've got to wait for the third customer to walk in before mm. I can sell anything? So, which which brings the question, how quiet are these guys considering there's three of them on service and he's fighting for commissions? I mean, it's obviously implied that he's not very good to be selling these things, but... It must be pretty quiet to be third in line and not have any sales come through. Well, I think that's also kind of implied by the fact that the menswear department and the women's wear department are being merged together. So the company is actually trying to cut costs and, and reduce the amount of floor space. So we're probably already starting to see a shift in the way that society is handling, is, is looking for, for goods and, and buying and selling products um, because they're not as successful as they used to be. The situation that they had before was menswear and womenswear on were each on separate floors of the building. And I think one of the main points, or one of the main plot points of the first episode that we see is a conflict between the menswear department and the women's wear department over actual territory floor space on which to perch and sell their products. Um, and that leads to the central conflict of the episode, which is who is actually going to get to place their goods on top? Is it going to be the ladies' wear um, bras and tops, or is it going to be the men's wear trousers? And Using the word brazier, which is my favourite word. Yeah, I do like that. <laughs> when I muck around with bras here, we're all braziers. Oh, I uh, cracked up a bit when I saw uh, Mrs. Slocum ask Mr. Granger if he would please remove his trousers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like, though, I mean, I, I've worked in not, not so much retail, but I worked in the entertainment business, and they you have this kind of this hierarchy of people coming in and telling you what to sell and where to put it. So it's good to see that in the, even in the 70s, it still had the, the basic um, layout and marketing materials that come out with those new fancy, uh, well, the flashing brassiere model thing that came out, which was really interesting. Uh, but it's, it's good to see they still have those promotional materials even back then. Yeah, there's some some things uh, never really change. And just going back to a point that Shannon was talking about a bit earlier on was the conflict between the seniors and the juniors because the juniors are obviously wanting to make their mark in the world, earn some money and, and get along, whereas the, the hierarchy in the office is very – in the, the workplace is very restrictive with only the older people getting the best commissions and getting the first dibs at the customers and the juniors kind of coming in around the side. It's a very ossified and um, – solid uh, hierarchy and structure. And I thought it was an interesting reflection because, you know, we know that British 
society in general was very um, hierarchical and and uh, very um, slow to change and, re- and resistant to change for a very long time. So we kind of see that, and we know that started to shift, you know, in the late seventies and the nineteen eighties, and as the economy changed and um, the the face of their society changed. And I think we start to see a bit of a echo of that in in Are You Being Served, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, we clearly have a whole bunch of kind of issues that are all taking place all at the same time. There's this culture uh, hierarchy uh, of of people, junior and senior. There's a bit of a uh, an issue with the females uh, coming in and kind of sitting on the same level and potentially not. But it's actually played. There's one. There's one character who is really anti having the females on the same floor as the males, but mm. largely everyone just accepts that that's that's going to take place. That's happening, and that. Uh, you know the female characters that the the hierarchy that takes place in that department is the same as the other and they're all on the same level and in fact they all go to a supervisor who kind of works out whether the you know which way he's going to go between mm. the females and the males but there's not a question of she's beneath me because she's a she's a female it, it, you know mrs slocum and the, yep. the the other character are exactly the same level yep so they're equal but they're distinctly separate so you definitely could not have a woman go over and sell in menswear and you definitely couldn't have a man go anywhere near the women's wear department. And that central character you're talking about there is the hilariously named Captain Peacock, who his job seems to be as like a, a kind of overall floor manager, but that kind of plays out with him just sort of standing around watching customers and watching the transactions happen. And a lot of the times on the screen, there's in fact, I don't think you see there's never a time where there's more customers than there are actually staff on the yeah, floor. Yeah. And he's the most aggressively British out of everyone. I think. I think that's. Oh, that, the 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 supervisor supervisor is pretty is pretty British. Yeah, the the hierarchy of men men are very aggressively British. Uh, yeah, Mr. That's Mr. Rumble you're talking about. He's yeah, uh, sort of he sort of sits in an office at the back, and I'm not quite sure what his <laughs> yeah. job is, but he, he doesn't seem very good at it. Whatever it is. Well, they did say it's it's first thing on a Monday morning. So who's mm. rushing out to buy a suit? On the first thing on Monday morning, other than go to the loo because it's raining outside. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> now, you know, let's talk jokes. Let's talk. Let's mm. talk hilarity. The first thing I will say is, I genuinely felt like I'd seen one episode of this show, so I've seen every episode that's ever been made. <laughs> I don't know that there's any character growth or in it. It's just a a, a parade of sexual innuendos. Oh, there's so much sexual innuendo. There so is. much. There is a fair bit, and it's very bawdy. Um, I think so much that it kind of occupies its own um, its own stereotype. The idea of the bawdy nineteen seventies British comedy show, I think, is kind of born by the popularity or created from the popularity of "Are You Being Served?" and the jokes, the sexual innuendo jokes, start almost immediately as soon as we enter the the, the show, with the first scene being the elevator stuffing up and the um, the flashy light model display mm. thing, which is to display the brassieres, as you say, Shannon. Yes. And yeah. there's obviously light globes um, in the in the lady's chest of the of the model, uh, which light up to you know reveal the patterns and things of the of the undergarments themselves. Which you know, just picturing an early 1970s television, that must have been outrageous. Yeah. If it's anything well, to go, the audience, the audience absolutely loved it any time anyone was sexually harassed. They thought mm. it was the greatest thing in the world. They were losing their mind. But yeah. I, I just wonder if, you know, things like, um, you know, even a little bit later, like the Brady Bunch and whatnot, they, I don't think they would have shown, like, bras and stuff on screen. So I'm wondering how 
how raunchy was this to show full undergarments in their all in their glory? I mean, no, no women are actually in them, but uh, even, even the the uh, mannequin being completely naked and him fondling the the mannequin would have been, I'm mm. guessing, raunchy for this time period. Yeah, I think they certainly pushed the envelope, and, and every every situation they they portrayed, which was a little bit racy or potentially raunchy like that, they always seem to have a very legitimate excuse so mr lucas the young fellow who's trying to cover up the model he's doing that at the instruction of his boss who's trying to you know get him to preserve a bit of decency on the floor um but as you say shannon the audience loves that you can hear in the laugh track them losing them, their them minds up. yeah it it's um look it's a show I think I think as as a as a viewing audience, I mean, the seventies were were wild and 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 fluctuated hugely. Here in Australia, we had number ninety six, which was a a a show like a soapy type, uh, where we had full frontal male and female nudity. Uh, there was young kids, thirteen, fourteen year olds, shooting up heroin on you know nighttime TV. It it, it wildly fluctuates in terms of what was acceptable and what's not. I think from a British audience, I think this is kind of par for the course. I mean, there's a, a lot of shows that are around this time. I'm thinking of things like On the Buses, you know, everyone's just having a crack at Swedish birds and, you know, always just au pairs for some reason, always constantly cracking onto au pairs. Um, mm. But this is kind of that bawdy, racy um, uh, British influence where I think the Americans were far more subdued and, and, and going the other way. So I, this is not uncommon for, for, for sort of England, but is very uncommon and, and and difficult ground for America. And I think I think this actually may have shot a pilot in the research that I had seen, an American mm-hmm. pilot that never got picked up. Um, and, of course, we got an Australian uh, Are You Being Served, which missed the trick of calling it Are You Being Served Down Under? Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> even, like, the, the title is still a sexual innuendo and we missed a bit of one. We just still called it Are You Being Served um, with a few tweaks. Um, yep. But it's the same show, effectively, and it's just it's just one sexual innuendo and 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 you know sexual harassment suit waiting to happen in every episode. Um, mm. I I just think that's its sin. Is it did it, it was a one trick pony. Like it didn't do anything. It had a, had a little bit more physical comedy than I expected. I suppose with the mannequin and um and it getting stuck in the in the lift. Um, and having its head pulled off, and that that kind of stuff was a little bit more physical than I expected. But it is just a one bawdy joke after another. Yeah, and it is, and, I, and like a, a weird gay stereotype. Oh, we were oh, in the seventies. We still had they were still hilarious. So. Yeah, that was still, like mm. it was still like yeah, it was. And then the what I don't, I didn't understand the, the 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 cinema was that a raunchy cinema that he was going to? Yep, that was the that was the implication. So it was the implication. The, the like a peep show type cinema is that was that what I was getting from that? Yeah, it's for the blue cinemas, which um, yep. are implied to be a pornographic cinema where you know, okay. only adult men tend to go by themselves yes. and only hang around for a couple of minutes before they leave. But <laughs> Mr. Humphrey you... seems to know all about it. Yes, they. Uh, excuse my ignorance, but they still exist, Christian. I'm throwing to you as our expert pervert. <laughs> Shannon, you were telling me that about it just the other day. So you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that blows my mind that you would go to a theater with a bunch of other dudes and watch pornos. Like that is weird to me. Is that that's a thing yeah. that happens? Happened? Uh, well, I, I don't know. Well before the internet, Shannon, there's, so there's we... a whole bunch of no. There's well-known American actors that have been busted in those those places uh, doing unspeakable things. Uh, there must be a there's a joke from mm. Are You Being Served somewhere there. 
playing their flesh flute or something. I don't know. There's some some sort of joke that they come to there. They they will be. But I actually did some research onto that character. He, that's Mr. Humphreys. Um, is who, who we're talking about? Who's who's is a stereotypical campy sort of character, um, and and seems to be. It's certainly implied that that he's gay. According to um, the research I did, the person who wrote the show said that he's actually not gay. He's a he's a, a mummy's boy, and he he's meant to be portraying that kind of um, uh, really uh, witty, yeah. sort of effeminate. Caddy? Yeah, Caddy. Caddy. Uh, I actually, I've actually gone ahead and watched a couple more episodes of Are You Being Served? And he actually alludes in later episodes to being, uh, having spent some time in the Navy, um, which, you know, would have added more to that uh, allusion to being to being gay. But, um, yeah, according to the actual person who wrote the show, the character wasn't intended that way. He just was meant to be campy and full of witty banter. It's- Bit like Smithers in in The Simpsons, never actually says it out outright, but he's just sort of implied. Oh, I think in the that's... later seasons he does, Shane. Oh, so no, it, it, yeah, gets it's much much later before he actually actually bothers yeah. to say anything, but it's mm-hmm. heavily implied. J- John Edmund was the only, I think, the only cast member that came out to Australia for Are You Being Served, um, mm-hmm. and um, he I, I, listening to Shane Bourne, who was who was the lead in that uh, in that show actually said that John Inman taught him how to do the John Inman walk, which is a very effeminate walk, which was to stick a coin in between your butt cheeks and try and clench it to keep it really? in there and then you would walk. And that's the way you would you would perfect that uh, that particular walk that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I was really bored by this. I was mm. incredibly bored by this show. Really? Um, yeah, I, I didn't f- – look, f- a whole bunch of sexual innuendo jokes is probably lost on me anyway. It's not my my – you know, highbrow level of comedy. I I was just once you've heard one, you've heard them all, and and no one said anything about Mrs. Locum's pussy, and I was expecting that because that's the only thing I know about that show is is mm. they talk about that a lot. I, yeah. There was no there was no quality gags I'd point to that I I laughed out loud at this. I, yeah, was, just I, I just found it interesting on the, in the fact that you know representation of nineteen seventies tra- uh, department store is what I found interesting is you know they had. You know, seven people around on on the store, and they serve two customers the whole time. Uh, and I think just just having the general, uh, basically a tailor in store to give you measurements and set you up with jackets and stuff. I just thought that was interesting. I didn't think it was overly funny, to be honest. I did, I did, I just liked the representation of it. It's a it's a product of its time, and we keep saying that, but it genuinely is a product of its time. But it didn't do anything hugely controversial. I mean. You know, like there was not. I was expecting some horrific ja- gags in there from this, and it kind of played it safe almost. It, yeah, mm. it was very bawdy, but they're, they're kind of stereotypical gags almost that we've we've gone past in terms of comedy. Um, I, I watched the version that was black and white. It, I, I don't yep. know whether that was the broadcast version, but certainly later episodes were in color. Was it mm. only the pilot? Was- so it, it was originally broadcast in color, but then a co- uh, apparently someone taped over the color version. So all they had was a black and white um, copy that was like a backup, wow. uh, and that's how it got released. Uh, apparently, um, there's been color versions that have been released since. They're available, and you can watch them if you buy the DVD box sets and things like that. But the version that I saw was a black and white one as well. Man, we treated our old old shows like crap, didn't we? We were just like taping over stuff. The BBC was notorious, like a British. You know, were horrible. They they lost hundreds of episodes of Doctor Who that way. I think because they just didn't bother yeah. keeping them. 
But remember, back in the 1970s, this show was probably regarded as not going to... They didn't think it was going to be very popular. It was very much pushing the envelope. Um, and I also just need to quickly bring... You, you make a reference to Mrs. Granger's pussy there, but uh, Mrs. Slocum's, but you're actually referring... She's always referring to her cat in the show. So mm. it's never it's never being as vulgar as um, as it's implying... Well, it is being as vulgar as it's implying, but they always have that that cover. She's actually talking about her her pet cat at home. Yeah, it's a fascinating um, point that it seems there's always an out for every one of those gags. There's, mm. You're right. I didn't I hadn't even noticed it until you said it, but there is absolutely a an out every time that happens. Yeah, no yeah. one no one's doing anything for the sake of just doing it to be funny. They're doing it with a purpose, and then it just happens to be someone says something or does something to in that situation. Yeah, it makes me think about what we were talking about in a couple a couple of episodes back, um, Shannon, where people make a joke but they do it straight faced and they're not actually the character's not joking. The joke's mm. for the audience in the background as we're sitting there having a giggle. And I feel like Are You Being Served does that repeatedly over and over again. Every joke that is told has a cover of legitimacy mm. um, for the for the characters in that moment anyway. Apart from the 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 actual sexual harassment bantery type, yeah. type stuff. There's no winking to the audience, which I think it hap- is kind of the the tale of a of a worse sitcom. I think when you you know there's characters who th- just shout catchphrases and it's kind of that wink wink nudge nudge to the audience. Um, mm. That's not established here. I know that kind of happens naturally with these shows down the line is that the characters sort of say the same stuff, but it doesn't happen. Particularly in this pilot, uh, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and so a couple of other things that I just wanted to bring up and talk about before we move on um, to the next show is there's a scene in there where Captain Peacock explains how to fold a handkerchief and put it in your pocket in the appropriate Grace Brothers style. And that whole routine is full of sexual innuendo um, as well. However, it reminds me actually of a, I, when I first started working uh, in an office, I came across a couple of um, uh, I suppose you call them old timers who'd worked in the public service for a very long time. And I remember they were telling me a story about when they first joined their, their jobs in, in the public service, they were sat down and told and instructed in how to appropriately properly fold a map. So you actually were given a, a weight that you would use and you actually sat down and folded and refolded and unfolded maps over and over again until you understood exactly how to fold them appropriately. And just watching that routine of happen on the, the set of, you know, are you being served? made me think of that example that was told and those guys would have been entering their jobs at about the time this show sort of aired so there's very much a generational culture and that was how society and professional um professions viewed themselves and viewed the way viewed that transition process um i thought that was really really fascinating well i also think that that comes down to you know tying a tie where I think just over the time is like I I have still need to watch YouTube now to watch a tie, but I guarantee you every single one of those people who were wearing ties every day would be able to tie one no problem. And I just I think it's something that's even from our uniforms has slowly faded away because I mean I work in an office nearly every day and I never see people with ties other than the really really high managers. That has uh, a direct correlation. You walk into David Jones or or Maya now, that nobody's in suits. Waiting to no. serve you. They're all dressed relatively casually, smart, casual, or wearing a uniform because that's how they've rolled it out. Whereas in the seventies, it was absolutely frowned upon. If you rocked up to work and you weren't wearing a full suit with a with a pocket square, you were you were shunned and, and told to go home. So just just just, just working in a normal department store. I mean, that's yeah. that yeah. shows. Not even working in an office building. I mean, this is the era where you when you went to meet a bank manager, you would dress up in your finest to go and meet the bank manager to ask for a loan. Like mm. now, you just do it online and you walk in your thongs and your shirt 
shirt and shorts to sign the the, the documents. You don't care. I don't care what a bank manager thinks of me. Just give me cash. Um, mm. Where it was all about appearances and about you know being, uh, you know, it was more about your reputation and how you dress was important as to whether they'd loan you that money or not. Um, yeah, how people would perceive you. Another joke that I thought thought was interesting was they refer to young Mr. Grace, who's one of the Grace brothers who owns the store, and he actually comes <laughs> on the screen for a few minutes, and he's actually this decrepit old man who's walking around with a cane and whatnot, and just calling him young, referring to him as young Mr. Grace. Obviously, at some point in the past he was, but that's just how he's he, – he was a young man. He's obviously spent his whole life working for the company or owning and the company. So he was worth two billion dollars, or was it two million? I swear he said two billion dollars. No, I think it was two million pounds. Oh, okay, well, I, I thought mm. I had billion. Like, that's Which a lot is of two billion money. Australian dollars today. Yeah. I think that's that's where you're getting confused. Now, yeah. t- talking about everyone in this store that would absolutely categorically get fired if if anyone was watching and paying attention, we move on to our second show, <laughs> which is Superstore. Jake, yeah. now this I've is got to the new new show. I've been pimping for Superstore since we got back from America, which was what two years ago now, and I've been I've been obsessed with this show when it, when I first came back. Um, Superstore is it's a it's a two thousand and uh, I want to say fifteen. 15. So actually, we I got to the party relatively late, but essentially it's it's a, a modern department store or Superstore, if you will, uh, called Cloud Nine. Which is basically their Walmart or their um, their superstores that they have over over in America, and it, it's basically just the the day to day running of of these mega stores and how the employees, especially the employees, react to the ridiculousness of uh, corporate America. And I mean, you've got Jonah, who's his very first day on the job, uh, meeting all the all the staff members, and just the the uh, hilarity that goes with that. Um, I think a smart move. Um, I think. And, and probably we didn't talk about it with Are You Being Served, but Are You Being Served was actually a really good introduction, to solid introduction to every character that you needed to see um, and be exposed to. Everyone got a little bit of screen time. Their, their names were used enough that you kind of got a, an impression about who's who and where they sit on the hierarchy. was all really well stepped out in Are You Being Served. It's the same here. There's a yep. lot of characters you see in the background that come – that I can only assume come into play more, but the characters we needed to see were all – aptly introduced um and and i thought that was really clever to focus on jonah um and mateo's first day not so it's not just his jonah for the first time you're actually getting multiple characters introduced on their first day so that it immediately sets up their rival rivalry quickly because you've got them both starting at the same time i think glenn and dina's introduction is really clever in terms of the staff meeting and how that all sits and then um obviously amy uh and that's kind of all you needed to know, really. That's that's they're the core people that, that needed to be set up. Yeah, yeah I think the hierarchy is set up really quickly here as well. Obviously, you've got you said Glenn, and you, you see you see the relationships and the rivalry that are already in place, done very quickly on screen and without kind of too much fuss. Like you can, it's kind of instantly that you know Dina and Glenn are your manager and assistant manager who don't get along. Um, and then, as you said, you know the first day, but it, it's, I think it's really important that. I think these kind of places would have high turnover. So you would have two new staff members starting at the same time and just randomly that they're randomly already in uniform sitting in the staff room and then eventually they get announced kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think I just, I just, I loved how they, they introduced it. I don't think the, the story was, was amazing in the, in the first, uh, first episode of Superstore. I think it was a bit all over the shop, but I, I did like the introductions of the characters. Yeah. What I found really interesting with that, um, 
with that introduction was they don't actually use the characters' names very much. You really focus on them as individuals and who they are sitting in the in the episode. An interesting little tidbit was you don't actually find Amy, the floor supervisor's name, until the end, the very last scene in the episode um, because yep. she actually uses a fake name on her badge because she doesn't want customers knowing what her real name is, which I, I thought was a, a really nice twist on that usual attempt to introduce people and go around one by one. It was interesting that the the episode focused on Bo and Cheyenne's relationship mm. too. <laughs> I would have thought that's a much later in the in the in the season run than than the very first pilot episode. Um, it needed to me uh, a more mellow B story, yeah, potentially than a crazy kind of B story. But I guess that's setting the tone for the show as it as it goes through. I do like how though it, it started off with with um, Bo being the the annoying dumb customer buying an eight dollar engagement ring with Amy, and then you could have introduced him later on without the big proposal dance yeah. number i think which i think was a bit over the top i think it was Robert just slash out. dance party slash <laughs> i think it was just going for the big wow factor moment um just to, to kind of show that anything could happen in a department store i think was the general was the general premise of that yeah and i think it also captured the zeitgeist at the time like a couple of years ago flash mobs were all the rage um or maybe by that stage flash mobs were already running out of fashion which is I actually part so. of the joke yeah yeah i think so yeah she can you can blame youtube for that she says the <laughs> I've worked retail and and in quite a large sort of retail setting, um, and uh, I think this captures that camaraderie slash hatred of all your all your fellow colleagues. Like you really do feel a little bit like prisoners in the same same place, and you see these people routinely on sort of cycling shifts, um, and they do genuinely kind of become your family. I think anyone that works in a in an office environment still kind of gravitates towards that but there there is genuine kind of friendships at play and i do like dropping into a really established store where the hierarchy is established where there's long serving staff members and then we're seeing jonah and and mateo being dropped into that environment and having to find their way you know what watching jonah really stuff it up um, oh that was great yeah <laughs> you know really stuff up his entrance and you know clearly already establishing that amy's the the love interest there and that's really obvious um yep. but you know and mateo just being the worst i think is Insufferable. but is, everyone uh, has a mateo every single every single place is a mateo i um I, I just thought the characters were unique enough but also were identifiable enough that people you've seen and worked with in real life like Everyone, as you said, everyone's worked with Matteo. There's always a funny guy. There's always, you know, the over earnest guy. There's, there's, you know, people who just the the really uptight stickler for rules. I think that they've cast this really well. I think everyone plays their their character perfectly. Um, for anyone that that remembers uh, the, the the sketch comedy troupe Kids in the Hall, it, it's uh, it's uh, the guy from Kids in the Hall plays Glenn, and that's not his voice, by the way. He has a very normal <laughs> Canadian sounding voice, so that's clearly a character he's doing. Mark McKinney is his name yes. from Kids in the Hall, um, who used to do that character of the guy who would squish your head. You ever seen that character where squish he walks around and he stands yeah. around and just squishes people's yeah. heads by closing one eye? Really funny Canadian sketch troupe, but he anchors this in a way that I, I've, I've had a boss like that, you know, like this really sweet, overly earnest boss who's not very Christian, good. Heavily Christian. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's not really very Christian. good at what he does, but he's yes, very yes. lovely. And so, you know, everyone's kind of can identify with that guy. And that's, I suppose, why in the story that they can get away with so much. I mean, it's Jonah's first day 
and he completely decorates the entire roof with stars. A, how did he do that yeah, that's without anyone seeing? And B, he would be fired mm. for that because presumably he didn't buy all those stars. He took them off the shelf and stuck them to the roof. No, right. See, I didn't know he. I didn't realize that he did it. I thought that they'd been put up there over many years by Amy. I thought that was what the. No, the implication was. was he was going to make that that day different by putting all yeah. those stars on the roof. Oh, um, okay. And, and and you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that would have them fired. And I think having a really weak-willed manager is a smart move because you get the implication that they're going to it's a bit like the office in that every single person in that office should have been fired but because they have a steve corral who's at the chat who's in charge everyone gets away with everything right how dare you that's the highest performing branch in dunder mifflin yeah but but being high performing doesn't mean you get to sexually harass your staff um you know have (laughs) have trolley fights in the in the uh in the in the the car park i I think that that kind of allows you to get away with that it allows you that glenn's got got a real issue and being such a lovely warm forgiving christian jonah giving away you know thousands of dollars of electronics because he mispriced them we're getting fired almost instantly and yet he's still allowed to to stick around for a full day and no one really does anything about it yeah they don't Um, even call it out for him, they, they they have a general announcement. Make sure you don't do X, Y, Z, um, yeah. which is really kind of passive aggressive. But I think we've all seen it. Yeah, I think that's what I like about the, the show is that it's just. I think it's a, a lot like a lot of workplaces would be that they're making minimum wage. They really don't care, to be honest. But that is, they're there to do a job. Why don't we see more stories set at work? Like, why don't we see more comedies, particularly set in a workplace environment? Like these. They're relatively rare. We've seen um, Rostered On, which is very, very similar to this, the Australian Australian version, which was largely a YouTube show that got picked up and, and actually made it all the way to Netflix. Um, and it's got two seasons, which I really enjoyed because it's got which, that real Australian Which was on the list of doing these together, but then we found um, Are You Being yeah, Service probably more appropriate. But, but we don't see a lot of workplace sitcoms that, that flourish, do we? I mean, we've, we've had, say, news, new, Newsweek. The Phil Hartman, Dave Foley one, um, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of like Murphy Brown. Those they're kind of workplacey dramas, but it's more about their lives outside. This, this is these these shows happen almost entirely in these settings. Like this is it. Yeah. You see this this area, and that's kind of how it works. Yeah, I think there's a few more Australian examples I can think of, like very small business and um, things like that. And there's obviously The Office, which is just just huge in terms mm-hmm. of occupying that space. Parks and Rec kind of went down the same sort of road. But it's it's not territory a lot of companies or not a lot of producers want to go for, I think. Does it make you look bad? Does it make companies look bad for the for the mega stores like Walmart and stuff that that do you know kind of treat their employees like this or have ridiculous guidelines and ridiculous workplace environments? And it makes them look bad, so they kind of you know don't want these shows being shown. Yeah, but then you've got like shows like. Um Utopia, which is another Australian TV series, which kind of leans into that and really plays into the satire and of, of and the absurdity that we often see in workplaces. So I think there's a really strong angle there that probably isn't really explored enough, especially um, in the US or or the UK or other other large markets. Another thing I like really liked about this show was the little scenes that were in like transition spots in between uh, other scenes where you showed customer behavior and all stuff like, you know, a little girl 
taking a pee in a potty you know, between in an aisle somewhere. And you just know that's happened. And these are all things that my friends who have worked in retail, they're very similar stories to what it relayed to me. And I thought that was a really nice touch. And Shannon, you're kind of nodding sagely you know, as if you've got some mm. kind of experience in this. So I think that anyone who's worked in retail would really relate to and, and empathize with the, the poor cast dealing with these situations. Yeah, I, I once had a customer that emptied every single piece of packaging um, for every product that she purchased at my register into a bag. So, you know, 20 pack of chicken nuggets, she ripped open the box, ripped open the plastic bag, poured that the contents of that inside another, like one big bag. So all of her groceries had no packaging and left all the packaging on my register. Yeah, that was a good day. That was a weird, <laughs> weird person. Um, <laughs> That's what I love about this show. I mean, and I, I, I won't, I've, I've seen all of Superstore and I, I, the transitions, they get even more simpler and just things that you know have happened and the stories have been told to everyone who's worked in retail. I mean, we're, we all have these these uh, first jobs where you have random encounters. Like I, I worked in a bowling alley and I had one customer take every bowl, bowling ball off the rack and put it on the floor. And made a full line across just because he could, and you just and then he just walked out, mm. didn't buy anything, just walked in, and you just you just got to shake your hand and go, what what's going on? But you know, I think there's they all these would have happened. Yeah, and I think it's it's very clear that the writers of the show have actually experienced a lot of this stuff, and that gives it a certain authenticity, which I think the audience really appreciates. And I know I can just tell by looking at you two that that you do because you've you've lived that life. Yeah, I mean, look, anyone that's forward facing dealing with customers knows that they're you know absolute nightmares and i suppose this is a public service announcement for anyone who does you know you should be thinking about these humans that you're interacting with as humans rather than just corporate shills for whatever company they happen to be representing i mean this is clearly walmart let's let's cut the crap like this is clearly walmart um and and they're and they're the people that they're getting they're paying low uh you know they're, they're very low paid um you don't get the, the tips that you would get in a in a in a service industry, so so they're they're working for for basically minimum wage, and they do attract a, a much older uh, subset of of of, uh, of people because they have uh, benefits. So you so in America it's tied to your your um, health benefits are, are tied to your employee employer employer. So if you are actually in full time work, um, they pay for your health insurance. So that's why you get a lot of those older characters working there who don't want to be there but have to keep working because they need the health insurance. But what I, what I also do like is with the the transition between the two shows is that, you know, in, in A being Sir, they're all very proper. They're all wearing suits and ties. And in this one, only management are wearing relatively decent-looking clothing. They, I mean, decent clothing. They have a, a shirt on with the brand, but everyone else just gets a, a vest not even a full uniform like that. It just shows the the cheapness of this company to show they can't provide a full uniform. They're just giving literally a just, service. Just there. a vest, yeah. But I also find that really interesting because you can still see the influence of that old department store style culture seeping through in the fact that the management are wearing shirts and ties. Mm. So this is like this vestigial trace of the old classic department store. I mean, you can imagine that Cloud9 might have originally started as a department store back in the day, but you know, as the market and society has shifted, they've, they've changed their business model. But just that little vestigial trace of formality, I think, is, is a really nice observation. I think it also skewers the, the cultiness of some of these big companies. Like, you know, they chant about their mantras and there's this, you know, motivational posters everywhere. And it's, if you've ever worked in one of these places, that's exactly how, how that is. How do you build culture to a workforce of 30, 40,000 people across, 
you know, hundreds and hundreds of stores like a supermarket, which is where I worked, you know, so you, you, your break room is your only time to kind of keep, you know, keeping these sort of mantras available. You've got these very earnest managers who are being paid, you know, pittance really in terms of managing an entire store. Um, and they're kind of sucked into the corporate world of just chanting these mantras back at you. What I also do love is the very opening of, of Superstore is the way Garrett, obviously it's Garrett's uh, character talking, but the way, if you've never been to a Superstore, like you've, you know, you've lived in Australia, never been overseas to one of these mega stores, it really gives you a good introduction of what they have. Like literally, if you want to get fat, you want to get skinny, you want to be alone, you want to be as a team. And it shows kind of a vast range of everything they sell. So I think it's a very it takes you straight into the mindset of what these stores can sell. I mean, it shows that you know they had hunting and camping equipment in the middle of the store, and so that they also had groceries. I mean, just how big is this mega store really is compared to because we had nothing like that really here other than maybe Costco. But even I think that's a a, a small version of what this superstore is representing. It's kind of mind-blowing to think that there's so many people under that roof that work there who don't actually give a stuff about the outcomes required, like. You know that everyone sees that as a teenager kind of feeling. You know, you go, you work at McDonald's, you you're just there to get cash, and you're doing the barest of minimums. You might be good at it, but you, you're not caring deeply about the company, its ethos, you know, its its values, its its culture. You're just there. Uh, a lot of these people are obviously just there for the paycheck or the the benefits that are that are being provided. You know, and, and Glenn cares deeply about his branch. Dina obviously cares very deeply about her branch, but even the floor manager and Amy doesn't really doesn't really give two shits about what's going on. She's more about just the cash. So it's it's bizarre to think about all these people who work for your company who don't really care about the outcome. Yeah, and Dina's an interesting one because she does the recruitment in the first part of the episode where we get Jonah on board. And she's kind of – you can t- see she's in the pipeline to become the next Glenn uh, or, or get her own store a bit further on down the road somewhere else because she's very much a, a true believer. The character that I was really intrigued by uh, was the fellow who I, I didn't pick up his name, but he's a fellow who's in the wheelchair who's actually surprisingly eloquent and makes the announcements Garrett. over the... Garrett. Garrett, yeah. Yeah, Garrett, yeah. yeah, so he's making the announcements over the loudspeaker and they're, they're surprisingly eloquent, um, which I thought was really interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued to see where they take his character going forward. Um, and, you know, that's another person you find in the office, a strangely intellectual one who you're always in there thinking, what are you doing here? Yeah, absolutely. In in places like that, it's like, couldn't you go and get something better? Like, what's happened in your life to get to this point? That's not to be degrading to anyone who does work in those areas. Like, that's you know, it's they are generally, it's particularly in America, lower paid positions that are are stepping stones to other things. Where you've got some career people like Glenn, like Dina, who have set their sights on on working their way up the chart. You get the feeling, even from the first episode, that Garrett's got no interest in rising up the chain. No, and. Rem- uh, not Ramona. Amy has the same kind of kind of attitude. She seems very cynical and kind of worn down. And she comments on her comments are really a, a bit of a criticism on the monotony of the type of work. You know, I, I put these stars out every Christmas, and then I pack them up and I bring them out for Easter, then I bring them out for uh, whatever holiday it happens to be. And it's just referring to that constant cycle. She's done it for ten years now. Um, a really good reflection uh, on on people, like you say, who they're doing these jobs probably for reasons. Um, that are personal because they have to um, and some of them just don't care but some of them uh, have just wanted to focus on other things in their life so work is is a means to an end um, rather than people like maybe Dina and Glenn who work is a significant part of their identity and the main one of the main reasons they, they get up in the morning and Shane you did mention that it's cast perfectly and it's, it's a very diverse cast as well which is which is really good to see um, 
in 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 the modern time it's you basically got everyone represented across the whole board which is and i think every single person is is does a fantastic job for what they what what they need to do i will say very quickly when i was in when we we're in america doing the backlot tour for universal studios i want to say shan yep we actually saw the cloud nine drop the the the, the facade, of the, facade yeah. of the building and i saw someone walking around in a cloud nine uh, vest and it was brett i'm pretty sure the old older asian gentleman who was walking around and that that still makes me happy that i saw someone from cloud nine yeah i mean it's it's um it's a relatively cheap setting i mean it's it's effectively the in- internals of a, of a warehouse decked out with with products I, I assume it pays for itself just in what we see with product placement quite massive product placement that you can get away with to make it authentic in a show like this but a lot of their stuff is superstore branded cloud nine branded which yeah. is really clever too because that's what those those areas you know those types of, of shops do so there is there is a really lived in world in this thing and the, the, there's a little cafe inside it's all those things that we're accustomed to those big box superstore type places that come in and 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 take over an area and push all the smaller businesses out of business um because they offer everything at much cheaper prices so everyone's got that you know walmart story that they can they can relate to where these these sorts of places work in and i often wonder about the, the staff as i wander around those sorts of stores yeah, I think the authenticity of the setting is, and and the stories that are told really helps flesh this show out. The world feels real. That is definitely something that's that's really well done. Hundred percent agree with you. I think this is one of the better uh, examples of a pilot done well. I think it to me it really spells out the world. It feels really lived in. It's cast really well. You only really get exposed to the characters you need to know, and they're distinct enough. To, to know who who from who like there's enough in there to kind of make you intrigued about what's what the relationship's like to give you enough information i actually feel the same about are you being served Th- that mm. doesn't pull any punches you understand exactly mm. what that show's doing whether you like it or whether you don't it's it's there on the table every character kind of gets enough of a piece so you understand who they are and what they're about there's a bit of sameness in terms of the you know they're all kind of old rich white guys but i think that might even be the slant on you know, that's that's what happens in those places. Everyone that sort of rises to the top is an old white dude. So, yes. So, are you being served? Very much plays into that stereotype of the old boys club that have mm. been in the store and, and they rise up and are very established. And I, I think that that is actually a feature of the culture, both of the Grace Brothers Department Store and I think British society in the seventies, just generally. Mm. I think as a pilot goes, I think Are You Being Served is probably a better example of a pilot because it doesn't hasn't, it hasn't got anything to waste. You kind of spend enough time with each character to know who they are, what they're doing, where I think Superstore maybe goes in the B story vine a bit too much with the Cheyenne and, and uh, her, I can't remember his name now, Bo, um, their story, which is a bit which is a bit bombastic and a bit over the top, where I think Are You Being Served is a bit more straight down the line. You need to learn these characters' names first, then we'll go on with the crazy stories. It really is setting the tone for the rest of the show, though. Like, it's, yeah. it's it, you're not going to expect a, a genuine sitcom, like, workplace comedy that's going to stick to the rules and the structure. I think it's showing you that it's going to be, it's prepared to be a bit more bombastic than, than other shows would. Whereas Are You Being Served is incredibly straight. It's those guys in a department store. We're not going anywhere. We're just doing a bunch of, you know, trouser jokes that's it that's what you're getting yeah but i think that's also keep in mind 1970s that was probably very different than what was on tv we've had we've had 30 40 
almost 50 years of mm. um, TV development and culture shift since then. So it, I, I think that they're, they're kind of, they've got a lot of similarities between them. There's a lot of key, a lot of key differences, but as I said, you can kind of see that vestigial trace of um, the, the culture of, you know, a Grace Brothers type story in Cloud9. I can also see the vestigial traces and fingerprints of are you being served in Superstore. You've also got the very new employee learning the hierarchy and learning the ropes as well. I mean, he's been there one month and are you being served and it's Jonah's first day, but you've also got that, that very new perspective on a on an already established store. Yeah, that's one right. One thing that does frustrate me about Jonah is he doesn't act like a first-day employee. Like, he's already so confident and, and so he doesn't respect anything about the, the hierarchy, the structure. He just, you know, he makes an ass of himself in front of Amy, which he tries to to, to fix at the end. But he's kind of already, and he, even him and Matteo, there's no way I'd talk like that on my first day. Like I'd just be learning and listening. I, They're very full of themselves early on. Mate, I worked, I worked for uh, AMF Bowling and Time Zone, and I can tell you, those new employees that age are totally like that. They walk in, and they think they own the place, and they think they know everything. Which, as a as a manager, makes you want to slam their head into a wall. Wait, wait, wait. Are we saying kids these days? Oh, I'm saying kids these days. I can't days. believe we've gotten here. No, I'm oh saying kids God. these days. I mean, my, no, my, not even kids these days. I think just generally people, new employees um, with this new attitude that they think they know everything because they've seen the television show. I just want to bring out a quote from Mr. Granger in Are You Being Served? Nothing's what it used to be. Um, I'm also going to drop our newest sponsor, Metamucil. Uh, <laughs> get your bowels moving with Metamucil. It's gone very, we've skewed very <laughs> old, Jake. I, I I feel really old now because I'm thinking back on those days, and it's it's very much. I mean, mind you, I don't. I think I think Jonah's just confident that's his character, and I think Matteo is a as a brown nose, you know, tryhard. Uh, where I think uh, I think they're not. That's not them. That's so much what they. It's just their personality rather than what they actually know. It's um. I, I look. I think I think they both do a really good job of 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 making you feel the pain of those staff members. I think. Possibly even in, in Are You Being Served, I, I get the impression that the 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 customers is not the focal point. And, um, mm. and same with Superstore. I would actually like to see a little bit more, even those little vignettes and, and, and um, transitions. I'd love to see more customer behavior more than necessarily the staff's wacky behavior. I think there is a place for a sitcom that, and I think Rostered On does that particularly well. It, it actually shows a number of, interactions between the staff and the customers that you know you'd be horrified i, I want to see more kind of true stories about bad customers because they yeah, and, and you will you will see that later on and i think they're just establishing the world in the first episode and i'm sure they'll get more well i know they get more like that early yeah I, I think if they'd done a fair bit of that and it, it had taken away from i suppose the story all the introductions and the characters we'd be sitting here criticizing it for trying to do too much in the pilot episode you've got a lot to do with a lot of characters like that so i suppose that is that is something but i, I would love to see more more of that. I want to see more of that. Sort do, of do we get more characters in Are You Being Served or is that kind of your, your key your key roles right there? There's seven of them. Uh, I, I think the number of characters stays pretty steady. I think a few of them actually change over, over time um, between seasons, I think, just from what I sort of um, did found in my research. So you don't really get any more. And remember, the set doesn't really change too much either. Uh, I've gone and watched a couple more episodes. You do see some more um, interactions with customers, but they are also very heavily tinged with sexism, misogyny, racism, like in, in terms of the jokes think, that are told. 
I think Superstore is kind of just like, this is what bad customers are like. Look at how stupid yep. you all are or can be. And I think that's kind of what the impression is of, you know, the the annoying American customer that we've all seen on television or seen on YouTube videos. This is what they could be like and this is what they are like. Yeah, and I think that overall, both of these shows, they don't just talk about the workplace or the characters in them. They give us a bit of an insight into the world and the, the greater society that they're sort of set in. You know, we see this ossified hierarchical um, structure in are you being served and know that society is very stratified um, and and conservative in superstore we see a a very casualized workforce society um, people who are employed in jobs but they don't don't necessarily want to be there which these are all themes that are sort of being explored through um, contemporary culture and and i think um, politics and, and wider discussion and I think you'll see Cloud Nine, you know, management above Glenn's level be almost a character in itself in Superstore. They're kind of setting that up early, where you know that there's heaps of glimpses of the Cloud Nine logo and stuff. And I think the Cloud Nine itself is going to become a character in the show. Well, it's it's corporate, right? Corporate yeah. always becomes a character in these things, regardless. Like someone, there's always someone above the character that we know is the boss. So you never you never worry too much. I mean, I think in the office, the, the later run is the CEO of the whole the whole company becomes a, a character that that we see and has influence over that branch. But you know, the corporate is and the corporate structure is always something that becomes uh, in play down the line, which you know, which is always interesting an interesting dynamic where you've got the boss that's potentially pushing back against corp- the corporate structure as well. Mm. An interesting thing that I had with Are You Being Served is my partner watched it with me and she did not like it at all. And she was very firm on the view that this show um, should never be seen again, basically. It was, <laughs> it was The jokes in there were obviously very sexist. Uh, a lot of the attitudes were displayed were very misogynistic. She felt it should have actually been you know, taken out to the trash along with you know Jonah from Tonga and um, all those other shows that have you know, troublesome... Um, aspects to them so i thought that was a really interesting reflection just in my own household and i'm just curious to see what you guys do what you guys think do you think it would be made again today do you think it's due for a reboot what do you reckon i mean i mean superstore is effectively that made again now it's it's a far more diverse cast it's it's effectively picking up the same things people worked have to work together that don't necessarily like each other or, or, you know, and the fact that you can make friends in that setting is kind of a miracle in itself. The only thing you share, oh, there's a, a line from the British office, is the only thing that we share is we work on walk on the same piece of carpet every day and yet you form these lifelong relationships, friendships, people get married, you know, all that stuff that comes through those Um absolutely come out of, of those environments. So this is this is by extension the 2020 version of Are You Being Served? It's it, it's an interesting debate to have about whether there's value in watching old shows as the time capsule that they are. There's no no disputing that Are You Being Served is a sexist, racist, you know, example of a TV show, yet the audience howls with laughter over that stuff. I think there's value in watching it, particularly watching it with people who um, who can then recognise? Well, that's not. We don't do that now. That's terrible. And so, you know, I think Superstore is a far more refined, and I think it shows where comedy's gone. It's more than a one track. It, it's also not a, a studio audience shot, which I think we've gone away from massively in terms of comedy and, and no, studio no, no laugh track. No laugh track at all. There's no laugh track. It's just the comedy lets yeah. the comedy speak for itself. Whereas there's, you know, it's it's shot in front of a live studio, and it just doesn't get done now, largely. 
uh, and and we've now got Superstore. It's the better version, the far more refined over 40 or 50 years of comedy where we've been refining this. Yeah, I'd much rather watch Superstore than Are You Being Served. That's well, that's a, that's, that's, that's a really good segue into the, the wrap-up, isn't it, then, Shannon? So we know what your views are now. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw it over oh, to you well, guys. Well, I mean, I've, I've been pimping for Superstore for years now and I've, it's, it's one of... It's a show that I can watch anytime, any place, and jump in kind of anywhere in the story, and and just just enjoy myself. And I, I think my my clear obvious choice is, is Superstore. Yeah, sure. So I really um, I've watched a couple more episodes of both of these shows, so so I enjoyed them both. But I I think I'm actually going back and checking out Are You Being Served a bit more. I mean, I think Shannon's right in that the jokes are very one track and they get pretty boring. But I'm actually just finding the I suppose the ancillary stuff, the 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 relationships between men and women, the way that their employees interact with each other, the relationship with management, the relationship with the customers, and the kind of insight you get into the 1970s society. I'm I'm finding that interesting, and I'm also finding the 1970s sense of humour. Um, observing that uh, as well being very interesting. You, I think it's important to recognise the flaws and the, and the downfalls in the in the jokes and the inappropriateness of a lot of them. Um, but I don't, similar to you, Shannon, I don't think that should immediately mean that show should be you know uh, thrown in the trash and burned and never seen again. I think it occupies a place in history. I think it's important for us to look at you know these things just so we can see how far we've come and how far our, uh, I suppose, comedic practice has shifted and changed over time. So if you watch Superstore, I think you should definitely go back and check out a couple of episodes of Are You Being Served? But it's also putting my bias on, on display here. I've also got a bit of a soft spot for British comedy in general, so I'm going to go with Are You Being Served? Yeah, and I think you made an interesting distinction there. I think in terms of the difference between something like Are You Being Served, which is is deeply rooted in its time to something like say Joan, Jonah from Tonga, we ought to have known that that was not a great idea, you know, back when it was made. Like the fact that there was enough people involved that said, "Let's greenlight this, let's put the money up, let's shoot it, let's you know write it," all that stuff that happened, it, it it's something that is not you can't just say, "Well, it's a victim of its time" because it was far too recent for that to be okay. Are you being served? Clearly, attitudes have changed dramatically in fifty years. And I think it's important to look back and, and recognise how far we've come, both from a comedy standpoint and also from what is acceptable to show and not show. And, and I think that's that's kind of the distinction but, I'd like to but make But, I mean, there. was it really – I don't know, I might be saying this, was it really that bad with what they were saying? Because I don't – no, I think I think you let it go two more episodes and you find out well, how possibly, horrible it actually in the, is. But in the, the, oh, the first episode's actually not, not too bad, bad. I mean, the worst, for, for The context. worst thing he does is kind of touch her leg and – and not realise he's doing it. And I think that's probably the worst part of it. I mean, other than the the, the taking off the trousers and, and showing bras and you're jealous that your boobs don't do that kind of thing is, is the worst of it that really gets? Uh, I think I think there's some fairly blatant sexual harassment from from the young staff member to the young female yeah, staff member. Yeah, he does pretty pretty early on in the piece. Um, so it... it well, you watch it, but yeah, yeah. When when you watch it, you, you see it. But I also think the interesting thing about Are You Being Served is that the, inside Are You Being Served, there's a story of the younger generation sort of pushing up against the older generation and being dissatisfied and unhappy with the the, the status quo. You know, the young guys unhappy at not being able to make money because of the rules that are in place that that really favour the, the senior people within the department. And I think that that was. I get the sense that that was kind of a, a societal-wide thing. Uh, these, these young people, which I think at that time were baby boomers, so we're kind of seeing young baby boomers emerging and they were a significant demographic block pushing against the old structures and old systems um, that were already in place that date from a 
that were put in place by a generation that you know were in World War Two and you know even even before then in the Great Depression, you know, dating back to the early twentieth century. So it, it occupied. That's all the stuff that I'm seeing and observing when I'm watching that show, which is why I kind of favor it a bit over um, Superstore. Is that is this why we're not seeing these types of shows on streaming services? Is this why we're not? It's not getting finding new life. Is because people are are worried about hitching there because th- there will be some deeply unsettling things in Are You Being Served just by nature. And I think back to some of those the si- Australian sitcoms that I watched on daytime TV, things like Acropolis Now, um, you know, uh, you know, the Ted Bullpit show where he, some of the horrible stuff that was coming out of his, his mouth, 70s, 80s, 90s even, they're not a second life now like Friends has, for example, Friends a bit later. It's ninety, you know, nineties. Um, but it gets a run because it's largely inoffensive. It's even people find problematic issues with that. There's still some sort of gay fear stuff that comes out of it, but it's nowhere near the level of of this. I mean, you're going to look through five episodes and find horrendous stuff. I would have thought, no, you're being served. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I know we're straying away from the the the, the pilot um, episode rule, but I think we've given our ruling. So. Yeah, indulge yeah, me in this. This is free form now. Yeah, in, in a in a later episode, you actually uh, one of the customers comes in who's actually Japanese, and they make some really offensive jokes about just the way the Japanese person, um, the, the fellow, speaks and how he acts, and you know he winds up um, someone whacks a bucket on his head. He winds up with a bucket on his head falling down a set of stairs at some point, and everyone finds that absolutely hilarious and uh, you know really inappropriate stuff. Um, but. It's interesting to see that that's what was acceptable back at that time. And as I said, you know, reflecting on how far we've come, both as as a society and in terms of comedic practice, you know, if you did, you, you couldn't do anything like that, those jokes now. They certainly wouldn't be acceptable. They're not really funny. Um, but you hear the audience in "Are You Being Served?" cackling, thinking it's the best. But was that was that funny or was that pushing the envelope? And like kind of a a, a racy kind of he kind of moment no no i think it's just it the was it's fair practice. game in that in that environment to to make jokes like that and it's 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 born out of stereotypes and people just laugh at at stereotypes yeah they do and one of the characters i think mr humphreys ends up asking mr peacock oh you were in the east weren't you you know during the war and so there's also that extra tension that's brought in with the fact that captain peacock was you know fighting against the japanese in world war Two, or at least that's the the um implication made by the episode um, so these are all things that were part of the conversation back then for that generation of people in that in that moment. So I, I found that stuff really interesting. But um, I think you definitely have to watch it with your know, eyes wide open and with a, a heap of that historical context. If you're if you're generally watching it and you're laughing at how hilarious it is to be sexually harassing people, and you think, oh, you know, that's those those that was a golden age back then, you've kind of got a problem, and you really shouldn't be getting that from the show. <laughs> yeah, it's it, we don't need to cancel it. I don't think we need to to put it shoot it into the sun. I think it just needs to to be viewed through a lens of of context. Um and that's you know that and that's that's appropriate. Now you'll make a decision if you want to keep watching that stuff and whether that stuff grates on you. For me, it's not I don't get a lot of entertainment value out of it. I'd rather watch something like Superstore um and 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 watch stuff newer, but it doesn't mean that we can't watch older shows and, and appreciate from the for the time capsule in which they are. It's it is a genius place to set these two shows because you can just rotate cast members. As soon as you want to you want to add some drama, you just throw a new cast member through it. Some new upstarts, particularly in Superstore, it's it's absolutely ripe that those places just go through a massive constant turnover and you're constantly training new staff and people are constantly leaving. So you can just drop people in and out as you see fit. So I think that's that's probably a good place to wrap this up. Uh, 
Thank you very much for listening. We we strongly recommend you go back and watch probably both of these shows. I think it's yeah. there's a fair 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 argument to make for for both of them if you haven't seen it. Uh, Superstore is available now on Netflix. Every season is available for streaming. Uh, are you being served? We had to find on YouTube, uh, which it's great that people are uploading these old episodes, but the quality is is a little bit hit and miss. Apparently, it's available on Foxtel streaming, and I think it's also for our international viewers. I think the um, BBC iView or something like that, iPlayer, whatever you call it, is, is is streaming as well. But I just have one last question for each of you before we sign off. Are you free? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we got to end on that, don't we? Just cut. Done. Thanks for joining. All right, you ready to call the outro? Yep. Talent's here. Let's go. All right, you want to warm up or anything first? No, I'm no. good. <clears throat> okay, hit me. Now, remember, no cliches, funny, light. It's a podcast. Go. In a world. Always do this. It's the first one. But that's, that's it's what, the most obvious but one. But that's what good No. No. Just no. On the edge of space. Shand. Bedroom. House. Podcast. Us. Go. Jurassic Park meets Twilight. Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. We're a podcast. But We're not a movie. Dun, dun, dun. We podcast. Us talking about movies. Is it just, just No, no. Just go. Is it because the, no, ger- the T-Rex no. has little arms and couldn't stab him in the chest with a stack? Go. A rooster and a cat are friends? Shen. I know you're a cock, but this... It's helpful. Come on. Movies, podcasts, it's us talking about them. Go. Two idiots have a podcast. They talk about movies and nonsense. If you'd like to join in that conversation, you can hit them up on masspodcasters at gmail.com or talk to them on Facebook. That's so hard? Yeah, my voice hurts a little. I've got a tickle and I actually think Jurassic Park and Twilight as a crossover would work. <sighs> Shut up.